Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and Miss Sunnydale 2003, Noella Croy. And I'm story expert who's kind of messed up in the face, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Potential, the 12th episode of season seven. Potential aired on January 21st, 2003 and was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner and directed by James A. Contner. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that and we'll let a vampire out and sort of encourage him toward the gym while the marching band is playing because of the way they look down on the swing choir. It might be, you know, funny. Let's go on patrol. In Potential, we open with Vi and Rona in the graveyard on their own until Spike attacks. He throws Rona to the ground and vamps out to take a bite out of Vi's neck when the lesson is over and he devamps. Buffy and the rest of the Potentials are watching and Buffy asks Rona and Vi why they died. Rona says it wasn't a fair fight, but Buffy says that they still have the potential to be able to win. She steps out into the arena and tells Spike to come at her, showing the Potentials how to fight. But then she ends up straddling Spike and, well... That's hot. In the basement, Buffy is trying to train the potentials as they chatter, and she throws an axe and tells them they're all going to die. She tells them the first is taking a break, so they get to breathe for a bit. But not too much. Because, you know, they're totally going to die. Dawn sits on the basement stairs and listens to the speech about how the potentials are all special and chosen. Then... Well, you better hurry up and eat something so you're not late for school. At school, Buffy talks with Amanda, a girl who has a crush on the boy who picks on her. Buffy talks about this through the lens of her relationship with Spike, which is over. And then it's over. Absolutely, seriously, definitely over. At home, Willow takes Buffy aside to tell her that the Sears saw that there's another potential right there in Sunnydale. Buffy questions whether she should take the other potentials out for training that night, but Willow tells her to go ahead. She'll do a locator spell and find the new potential. Dawn agrees that it's the right call. Yeah, you guys have more important things to do. The potentials gather in the kitchen, playing with weapons, choosing their favorites. Dawn tries to be one of the girls. Uh, I kill things sometimes. Spike and Buffy leave with the potentials and Willow starts the spell. She creates an orange ball of light that's supposed to give the potential a glowing aura. It hovers in the air, but smells terrible, so Dawn goes to open the door. Just as she's about to open it, the ball flies toward her, making her glow, identifying Dawn as a potential. Dawn, however, has her doubts. Did you maybe say potential sailors? Because I do like the water. While everyone contemplates what this means for Dawn. Short, brutal life. Sharp, sharp knives. I covered this. Dawn goes up to her room, then crawls out the window. Meanwhile, at Willie's Demon Bar, Buffy and Spike bring the potentials in to get a feel for the demon-y side of things. Buffy has Clem show them his real face, and they scream. Outside, Dawn bumps into Amanda, who has a gash on her forehead. Turns out, Amanda's kind of been having a day. She was working late at the school, and when she was about to leave, she got attacked by a vampire. She dodged it, it fell and hit its head, and she trapped it in a room. Dawn, knowing she's the potential, figures she can handle it. No. I'm all right. I I can do this. It's mostly instinct, I think. While Buffy locks a bunch of young girls with no real powers in a crypt with a vampire she just pissed off, she lectures them on how to fight. We hear the lecture as we watch Dawn at the school using her wits and what she's learned from Buffy to fight the vampire. Amanda's too scared to help. But when the bringers show up, they head straight for Amanda, bypassing Dawn entirely. No! You don't want her! Me. Xander, Anya, and Willow discover that Dawn's escaped and go out after her. Meanwhile, at the school, the bringers attack Amanda and are about to stab her when Dawn causes an explosion and knocks down the bringers. She and Amanda run out into the hallway, where Dawn briefs Amanda on the latest development. You remember when you said I was special? Well, I'm not. Sure. But the thing is, you are. This is your battle, Amanda. Dawn hands Amanda a broken wooden flagpole, and Amanda uses it to fight off the bringers. Xander, who saw what Dawn just did, calls for Buffy and Spike to step in to take care of a couple of bringers while Amanda dispatches the vampire with the flagpole. After the fight is over, Amanda vents about her night, saying that one minute she's at Swing Choir and the next she's getting attacked by a vampire. So she goes to see Buffy, and right as she's about to knock on the door, she gets hit by this orange cloud. It was Willow's spell. She's the potential slayer. Later, Amanda bonds with the other potentials while Dawn listens from the hallway. 
Amanda talks about killing her vamp, and the potentials are all high on their group staking of the crypt buyer. Buffy checks in on Dawn briefly, then takes the potentials to the basement for more training. Dawn goes back to the books, and Xander sits down next to her, telling Dawn that he saw what she did. But I know. I see more than anybody realizes because nobody's watching me. I saw you last night. I see you working here today. You're not special. You're extraordinary. All right, Noel. So here we are. The episode potential. Um, one of my favorites in season seven. What did you think of it? I love it. I'm always here for the potentials. I love them yeah. so much. <laughs> I love seeing them go from low-key competing with each other, talking about push-ups and pull-ups and whatnot, to just circled up, building each other up. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. They're yeah. all so sweet. And am I the only one who kind of ships Dawn and Amanda? Oh, no. You are not the only one. You are not the only one. Amanda's amazing, and so is Dawn, and the way the two of them work together. And again, as I have always said, give me people who work well together, and then you've got a good romance potential there, a good love story. So yeah, I absolutely completely see that, and I'm kind of disappointed that that's not what we got. But anyway, there's not that much time left in season seven, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, I really like this episode. This is one of my favorites, like I said, in season seven. I already loved Dawn, as everybody knows, but this episode shows her for everything she is and makes that reality the focus of the episode rather than just kind of a small side note in an episode that's about something else that we can easily miss. You know, I think a lot of people get irritated with Dawn when she first shows up and they don't notice how badass she is. And then finally we shine a light on it in this episode. Episode. I'm like, yeah, it's about time. <laughs> Dawn knows what's up. It's great. Dawn does know what's up. But one of the things that I find so interesting about this is that the first thing that Dawn says when she discovers that she may be a potential, right, is she has to die. If I was ever the slayer, it would mean she died. And I'm like, first of all, Dawn knows better than this because good God, faith exists. Right. Like, <laughs> We don't ever talk about faith. Um, it would mean that Faith died because Buffy already got her plus one when she was drowned by the master. She can't get any more. And we've pretty much established that as no new Slayer has popped into town since she died fighting Gloria in season five. Um, no new Slayer is being hunted by the bringers. The only Slayers that we canonically accept are Faith and Buffy. And so Faith is the only one who can give us another Slayer. Faith is the one who has to die if anybody is called to be a slayer and yet everybody's constantly focused on Buffy as if that is not the world building that we have already established. Yeah, and what I think is interesting about that line, the she has to die line, yeah. is that the first time or the the that moment where Dawn says she has to die, she could easily be talking about herself as the slayer, as in the slayer mm, right. has to die. Like, that's pretty much what you do as the Slayer. You're the Slayer until you die. Um, yeah. So she could be talking about her 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 own future or Buffy's yeah. future or both simultaneously. And it's mm -hmm. it's really I mean, it's really interesting. Like, it's a bummer that we consistently forget about faith in all of this. But yes. it's yeah. that relationship. I mean, and Buffy gets into it in this episode, that relationship to death is a really, really yeah. interesting one. Um, yeah, it really is. Um, you know, and, and the way, like, I like Buffy. Buffy does a lot of speechifying in season seven. And I think this is about the time where it starts to get like a little stale and then we keep moving through and then eventually it becomes its own joke by the end of the season. Yeah. You know? um, but I like, you know, when she's talking about death is what you are. Death is what you do. You know, you live with death all the time. That that's a very real thing to have to you know, live your life knowing, you know, and Anya makes a good point too. short, brutal life, sharp, sharp knives. Exactly. Like, yeah, you know, like being a slayer is not a great, you know, there's this idea of being special and chosen and all of that. But there's a, a huge downside to being a slayer as well, which is what we've spent the last, you know, seven seasons exploring with Buffy's, you know, kind of ambivalence about it to a certain degree, you know, like she was never excited about it the way that Faith was, except for that brief and glorious time in season three when she and Faith were bad girls together. But 
But I find this funny, though, because now we know, like, what happens if a Slayer dies and is resurrected, that she gets her plus one and that's it. And then we have a, a split off line. So, like, that's another way to make a whole lot of Slayers. Just take every new one, do a flatliners on them, and then boom, you get two for one. Lather, rinse, repeat until you've got a world full of traumatized teenage girls. And, you know, let's face it, we live in a world that specializes in traumatizing young girls already. So, like, do what you're good at. Um, but I always wonder why the Watchers count didn't just start doing that i mean we know they're evil uh it's certainly not morals that is stopping them from doing it so the only thing is it must be that they don't want more than one i mean they can't even control the two that they have one's rogue the other's in jail like they don't have a great batting average with controlling these girls these girls who they try to kill at age 18 yeah you know well i mean because anybody who's over 18 apparently gives them too much sass well, and there's safety in numbers for mm-hmm. the Slayers. Yeah. I mean, at least that would be, I imagine that would be the Watcher's Council theory that we can't have more than one Slayer. We certainly can't have a bunch of them going around talking to each other <laughs> because, <Exactly. laughs> you know, Forming a union. we know what happens. Well, first of all, I mean, we know what happens when <laughs> women start talking to each other, right? We that like... <laughs> They start finding out that, oh, hey, that thing your husband does to you is actually harmful and not okay. And, oh, hey, if you happen to be pregnant and would like to not be pregnant anymore, (laughs) we'll Mm -hmm. fix you up. Like there are (laughs) there are things that happen when Mm -hmm. women start talking to each other. Um, And it's all very dangerous. It's all very dangerous if you are the the men in power. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I could absolutely see a world where maybe some offshoot of the Watchers Council is like, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a whole bunch of Slayers. And then it somehow goes like, I would watch that show is what I'm saying. No, I mean, I think it's interesting. And given that the Watchers Council is totally evil, I think that the Watchers Council is, is I mean, the, the fact that the Watchers Council has never been a big bad for a season of Buffy, I think is a lost opportunity. Such no, uh, oh, such a waste. Such a waste. I know. Such right? a waste. I mean, we kind of have it a little bit, not a big bad, but a little bit of, as an active antagonist. You know, season three, season five, we get a little bit of that, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. The Watchers Council is the big bad and putting the Watchers Council down and then creating a million slayers the way that we do in this season. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, But when it comes to the story stuff in this episode, um, one of the choices that I think stands out is that we have this whole training of the potentials, right? We're talking about the potentials. We've got Buffy speechifying to the potentials. She's taking them all around. Then she locks these young girls. I know. In a crypt with a pissed off vampire. Um, But we don't get to see that fight. I know. And it's so interesting to me. One of my first notes, one of the first things I wrote down was, I don't know how I feel about the fact that we don't get to see the potentials fight the vampire. Mm -hmm. But the more I think about it, the more I like this decision. I think it really works. And I think part of the reason it works for me is that that victory is theirs. Mm -hmm. It belongs to the potentials to make them feel closer to each other. And we, the audience, don't need or get to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. This is is one of those, like, still kind of on the tip of my brain theories. But that, for me, works in the context of this this season. Because Mm -hmm. in season seven... We're moving away from Buffy the Vampire Slayer toward all y'all the Vampire Slayers. (laughs) But as an audience, we have been following Buffy. We're with her. We're with her story. And what the potentials do without her is exactly that, without her. Like, Mm -hmm. it's an odd choice that she says, you have me, and then she drops the stake and then locks them in the crypt. And it's like, it's like, actually, well, actually, like, no. Um, the point seems to be training them to function without her. Yeah. And connecting them to each other through that. And that's why the audience doesn't see the fight. Yeah. 
I, I, I don't know. I'm torn I don't know. about whether I think that that's a better idea or not. On the one hand, I do like that it is um, it's something that's left to them, you know, but also we get them telling us about it later. And like, I think that seeing some of it would have been a huge moment of victory, especially as we're intercutting with um, with Dawn and Amanda, you know, Dawn, who has extensive training, has been paying attention to everything, mm-hmm. you know, and Amanda, who has none, but has the instinct, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I find it really interesting. I go back and forth on whether I like that we don't see them. I want that moment of victory. I want to see you know, when they kill their first vampire. But at the same time, I'm way more interested in Dawn in this episode, you know, than the, the uh, aside from when we have Buffy kind of speechifying that is intercut over what Dawn and Amanda are doing. Um, the running around with the potentials feels like a side, you know, like we, we cut away for a little joke about how Spike and Buffy are hot and, <laughs> you know, and the demon bar and the yak urine yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. But, um, but it doesn't really become, I think, part of the story until we hit this moment. And that's the most important moment for the potentials. And we don't see it. Feels like a weird choice, but I'm not sure if I like it or not. Yeah. I, I mean... I like it because I like them as a unit and I Mm -hmm. like that they get to have this thing because when they're talking about it after the fact, they're talking about it to each other for each other. Mm -hmm. They're doing this like they're not telling Buffy about it. They're telling each other like you were so great when you did this Mm -hmm. and it and they go around in that circle for a while in this like appreciation when Mm-hmm. We've seen them. I mean, I'll talk about this when I talk about the potentials, but they start off and there's still friction between them. And then they come mm-hmm. out of this experience together and they're a unit. Yes. But they're also, mm-hmm. you're right, they're not the focus of the episode. The focus of the episode is Dawn, um, mm-hmm. especially when we think that maybe, oh, now she is also a potential and mm-hmm. part of this group. Yeah. Mm hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I like it. I like it and I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I'm torn. Um, But one of the things I really wanted to talk about, though, uh, especially because we have very recently talked about how shitty the Giles twist is in the season. Um, But here we have an example of a twist that is executed beautifully. So I want to take a moment for a little story lesson to talk about how good twists work. Um, The Amanda twist is a perfectly executed twist. I'm going to tell you guys why. There are three rules of a good twist. Number one is a good twist uses the momentum of audience assumptions to fuel the belief in the false reality. So in this episode, we work on the presumption that Dawn is the new potential, but at no point is there an actual lie told. It uses the momentum of the audience's assumptions that Dawn, with all her knowledge and skill, would be a potential. Also that Dawn sharing Buffy's blood, that she was, she is Buffy, right? Mm-hmm. We got, we established that in season five, um, that we would, we would absolutely say, yeah, it makes sense that Dawn would be the potential in town, you know, but we never state definitively that this is the actual reality. We just kind of set it up and let the audience run on those presumptions. Um, We've already been primed to want Dawn to be a potential. She's getting kind of shoved to the side while Buffy trains all the potentials and the potentials get Buffy's attention while Dawn sort of sits there as a support person. Um, And Dawn loves the work so much. She's so dedicated and knowledgeable. You know, she's building her demon database, Mm -hmm. all of this stuff. It's so great. Um, So they plant this idea. They let us lean toward it. And by the time they suggest it, we're already primed to see that as being what's going to happen in this episode. Um, So you have to indulge your patience and willingness to manipulate people if you want to be a good storyteller. But that is exactly how it's done. For good and for evil, that's how it's done. Um, Number two in a good twist is there is no flag on the play. Like once you know the truth of the situation, if you go back and review the entire thing, there is no point at which the twist reality cannot be true given the textual evidence presented. The writers never lied to us in this episode. Go back and review. At no time did they say that definitively that Dawn is the potential, nor did they say that Amanda couldn't be the potential. And the third, um, re- or, wait, what did I call them? Okay. 
The third rule of a good twist is it was right in front of your face the whole time. Not only is there no textual evidence negating the twist reality, but there's textual evidence to support it. We just didn't notice. Like Amanda handles this vampire on her own, capably enough that she gets away with just a scratch. Buffy herself almost always has scratches and bruises. Amanda is almost as capable as Buffy. The potentials have been in training this whole time, and it takes all of them working together to take down one vampire. But Amanda manages to get away and run to Buffy's on her own without being seriously hurt. She has no training, no idea what's going on, but she still shows that capability. And earlier in the season, we saw already that she was kind of tough, right? When she talked about beating up the guy who teased (laughs) her. So here it was right in front of our faces the whole time. And we didn't notice because other stuff was going on that had our attention. And there were other reasons why we'd have Amanda in the fix here, right? Because Amanda, when we see her, becomes the reason why Dawn has to fight and show off her potentialness, right? So when we twist that, it's like, oh, and then you realize it was there the whole time. You just didn't see it. So those are the three rules of a good twist. Here we have it executed beautifully while we are simultaneously fucking up the Giles twist, whatever. (laughs) It's there in the editing, too. Um, Mm -hmm. I unfortunately don't have notes in my script about it, but they they do this wonderful thing with setting something up with the potentials and then we'll mm-hmm. cut to Amanda and yeah. sort of sandwich her in there with the idea. So mm-hmm. we'll like, we're with the potentials and then we'll cut to Amanda and Buffy and you think, do people think you're weird? And there's this whole, like, yeah. it's sort of it's, and Buffy so identifies with Amanda yeah, in the beginning, yeah. you know, that Amanda's story makes her view, like, see everything through her own lens. Yeah. So the, the alignment between Amanda and Buffy is right there from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I think it's pretty awesome. It's great. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to us about the potentials. Oh, I love the potentials. I love them mm-hmm. so, so much. Um, I love that we start off with them training together. Mm-hmm. And they're all sort of separate. They're all kind of doing their own thing, even though Buffy has them paired off. You know, Molly's taking notes, <laughs> which I oh. just love with her little notepad. And, she's so earnest. Yeah, she's so earnest. They're like, they're, but they're, there's friction between them. Um, you know, in the basement, after they've, they've done this lesson with Buffy and Spike, they're, kind of competing with each other not in a mm-hmm. sort of not quite way. I mean, comparing notes about physical strength and then Buffy launches into her Slayer death speech. And there's clearly, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's clearly more than a little bit of discord brewing at the house, right? We never find out exactly what's going on. Just that Xander thinks there's a more appropriate place for this kind of rough housing outside in another <laughs> state. You know, Buffy comes home and everybody's shouting. Um, you know, Rona and Vi and Andrew were all fighting and the living room is a disaster. So, like, they're not the potentials are not getting along. Um, mm-hmm. They're very, I mean, low key or maybe not so low key argumentative with each other, comparing and contrasting weapons choices. Mm-hmm. And we get a not subtle, mm-hmm. a barely acknowledged gay girl joke as well, which, you yes. know, why not? Um <laughs> But they're not yes-anding each other yet. Molly likes the crossbow. Mm-hmm. Rona scoffs. Rona likes a steak. Kennedy's not one for the feel of wood in her hand. Mm-hmm. Don says, oh, right, you guys are going on your little group patrol. And Vi, <laughs> I love Vi, saying, it's more than that. It's an outing. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> not, I don't know. What I love about that, too, is that I feel so much like that was something that one of the other girls said. And the vibe was like, oh, I like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they're just, like, yeah. they're not quite together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, a bunch of 15 year olds in a demon bar. And mm-hmm. that's when we get this little inkling of bonding among mm-hmm. them. You know, when Buffy's talking to Clem, I think it's Kennedy leans over to Rona and says, you think she dated him, too? (laughs) And then they see Clem's real face and Vi says, I could use a shot of that yak urine right about now. (laughs) And they all sort of look, they all kind of, that moment, suddenly they're more in this together than they've ever Mm -hmm. been. 
And then Buffy locks them in a crypt with a vampire, which, what the fuck? Okay. Yes. Um, But they come out on the other side of that as mm-hmm. a team. And they're mm-hmm. talking each other up, which, you know, I I mentioned already. It's you did this. You did that. Sort of bragging about each other and how great they were as a group. And then they welcome mm-hmm. Amanda into the group as well in this. Yeah we are a team now kind of way. Like they start off, the potential start off in this episode, I think mm-hmm. feeling very separate. And I think they're, yeah. I think they are shot that way. I think they're written mm-hmm. that way. And by the end of the episode, they're this little, they're this little unit. I mean, Buffy has said, you know, we're an army and she's going to, She's going to train them to be that. But it's not I think it's over the course of this episode that they start to really become that as opposed to these kind of because honestly, I mean, as much as I love them, they really are sort of cardboard cutouts of like girl types. (laughs) But by the end of the episode, they're working together and they really seem to appreciate each other. And I just I love it. Mm -hmm. I love to see it. And then we have poor Dawn on the outside of everything. Um, <laughs> but with a really, really interesting angle on all of that, right? Because mm-hmm. Buffy tells the potentials, you don't have slayer strength, but that doesn't mean you're not strong. Yeah. So we mm-hmm. lead with this idea that strength, power, and so on aren't an either or kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But Dawn doesn't see it that way. Yeah. Especially when Buffy pivots from pep talking the group to reminding Dawn to eat breakfast before school. <laughs> even, you know, even though Dawn is the one who knows the Turrican's proper name, but oh well, no one yeah. noticed, right? Mm-hmm. Dawn says Buffy didn't take her phone with her on this outing because all of the important people are with her. Mm-hmm. And then there's this moment, this is we this is after we think Dawn is a potential. Xander says, you're important now, which is an mm-hmm. interesting, an interesting line. Yeah. Um, you know, because, of course, Dawn should always have been important. But what we're getting at, I think, is this idea of not special or chosen, but important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting, really, really interesting uh, choice of words for Dawn to say mm-hmm. all the important people are with her because Dawn right. has always been important and not just in the uh not just in the like you matter kind of way <laughs> um yeah <laughs> but in the you have something to offer way like yeah. you can be important even if you're not special or chosen mm-hmm. Dawn really really is important she understands so much more about standing against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness than any of the potentials do because she's been walking the walk for a good long while now. She knows how to do this. Well, Dawn leans in, Yeah, right? Like, here's the thing. A a big part of our internal conflict for Buffy throughout the entire run of the season or the series has been that she is called to this life but it's not the life that she would have chosen. Like she wanted to be, you know, a cheerleader and mm-hmm. have a normal high school life and date losers like Scott Hope and go to prom, <laughs> you know, like all this kind of stuff. Like this is the stuff that she wanted to do, you know, with her high school years and she wasn't able to. And so her life has been that she has chosen. She's really talented. She's really good at it. And to a certain degree, I think that she enjoys her capability with it even though i don't think she enjoys the death but i think that like when you're good at something there's a joy in doing that thing you know mm-hmm. um and she's really naturally very good at it we saw in that moment in tabula rasa when she doesn't know who she is and everything's erased i'm like a superhero yeah. I'm strong i'm wicked strong and she's into it right she likes that feeling that power so there is some of it that she likes but it's been this constant like pulling away from her identity as a slayer to develop herself as a person, 
you know? Um, And that's been a struggle for her. Meanwhile, Dawn, who is, I mean, she was a magical mystical key and has only really been on the earth for like, I don't know, 18 months or whatever. Um, But the thing is, is that like, aside from her origin story, like she is completely normal and completely mundane. Like that is her experience of herself, you know? And she goes and leans away from that mundanity into this special world. Mm -hmm. So she's constantly reaching toward it, reaching in. You know, she knows more than anyone, often even Buffy. Um, But she's not acknowledged. She's not recognized for it. And which is kind of par for the course on Dawn. Like we talk about Dawn when she's annoying and she's screeching, get out, get out, get out, like fine. But we don't really acknowledge like so many of the stuff that she does that's so amazing is in the background and we don't really notice it that much. Um, And the thing that I love about this episode is that Dawn is badass. And finally, someone sees it. I mean, ironically, given that Xander is the one who actually sees this in her and she's the anti Xander, like he is often terrible, yet we see him as adorable and funny. Dawn is mostly amazing. And yet we always see her as the annoying little sister. First impressions, some powerful shit, you guys (laughs) telling you. Um, But I do love that Xander is the one who kind of sees Dawn for what she is and lets Dawn know that she is also seen. Yeah. So well, and there's mm-hmm. this interesting friction too between Buffy being the slayer and often not really wanting to be, and Dawn mm-hmm. not being the slayer or not being, you know, special or chosen in that way, but wanting like liking it. Like she's excited mm-hmm. about she she is excited about the research. She's excited about being part of the group. She wants to fight. And yeah. she's constantly told, no, you can't. It's too dangerous. You're too young. This and that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Buffy is, you know, leaning away from all of this. It's yeah. such an interesting, it's such an interesting dynamic that, I don't know. I'd like to see a little bit more, I guess, of that. Like, mm-hmm. here's this thing that you have been, you know, mystically chosen to do. And you're like, mm, actually, yeah. not so much. And here's someone right. who doesn't have the super strength or the slayer, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. but is like really into the world of all of it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, is Dawn into it because she wants that connection with Buffy? Yeah, Mm -hmm. because a big part of the, you know, she didn't take her phone because all the important people are with her line of thinking is Dawn wants that special relationship with Buffy Mm -hmm. and the potentials have it because they are potential slayers and she doesn't because she's not a potential slayer. Yeah, And then when she believes she is, there's that lovely moment of oh shit maybe we shouldn't tell Buffy (laughs) (laughs) because yeah I don't you know like I love I I love how intricate Dawn's desire to be connected to Buffy is Mm -hmm. I love how complicated the whole thing is I mean I love that relationship I love everything about it Um, but then we get to you know the tragedy of this though is that Buffy Buffy is so busy dealing with the the potential. She checks in on Dawn. She's like, are you okay? That's it, right? And then she goes down with this. She doesn't see what Dawn is. Um, and so we have that. That feels like a real tragedy that she she loves Dawn. Dawn is important to her because Dawn is Dawn, because Dawn is her sister, because she loves Dawn. You know, mm-hmm. um, Dawn is probably, aside from Willow, like the major love story in Buffy the Vampire Slayer for Buffy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Buffy is so distracted by everything else and all of the other like incredible responsibilities that she has that she doesn't really acknowledge how incredibly special Dawn is. And then we have this moment, which honestly is one of my favorites in the entire run of the series. Like the whole series, this is a top 10 moment for me. Um, When Xander sits down with Dawn and makes me cry every time without fail, without fail. Um, And it's so funny because like, you know, I mean, we've, gone through this anybody who's been you know with still pretty through the run of the series has heard this has heard me go around this mulberry bush a number of times that i love xander you know 
And when I think about how I love Xander, despite all of his terrible behavior that we have documented, you know, um, over over the run of the show, um, it's this moment in this episode that is the Xander that I love. Um, this with Dawn where he sees her and he is the only one who ever really does. Um, it makes me love him completely. And it kind of reaches back through all the seasons and has a retroactive lift for me, for Xander, so that mm. I endure his bullshit and still love him, which is kind of how I am in real life. Like, I, <laughs> once I love you, I love you forever. I may, Like, if you're toxic, I'll end my relationship with you, but I will still love you, like, just because I do. I love people. Once I love you, that's it. I love you forever. That's how Xander is for me. Um, you know, I always liked that he was cute and funny. And in my early watches, I was completely oblivious to his bullshit. So that got past me. Um, and, and I sort of let that be. But then there's this moment where he sits down with Dawn and recognizes how incredible she is with no supernatural power just because of who she is. And it warms my heart. It makes me cry. And so when Xander behaves horribly, I still love him. This is why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this moment with Xander is wonderful, and it raises the question for me of consistency in the writing of characters, mm -hmm. because it doesn't, it's like, I don't know, it, it feels like it comes out of nowhere in a way. Yeah. Like, I still love it, and I love that that someone sees Dawn. Yes. And I love that you can i love this the the subtle or maybe not so subtle message that like you can be in the background yeah and still matter mm -hmm. you can be in the background and still have somebody see and acknowledge what you're doing um but that it comes from xander is such an interesting choice mm -hmm. in a who this character has been over the course of the show mm -hmm. kind of way and What's interesting to me is that I'm here for change, like growth and change in actual humans. Like I yeah. really think I re it's something that that I believe in very strongly that, you know, somebody can be, you know, can behave in ways that are harmful mm -hmm. to other people and grow and be someone different. Um, but that feels like a more complicated process for fictional characters somehow that I don't really know how to articulate. And it needs maybe to be it's earned. Just, well, may, and maybe you know? it's it's the lack of maybe it's the lack of foreshadowing in that way that if somebody is going to grow and change in this like make this kind of shift mm -hmm. that Xander makes in this season really. Yeah. Like season 7 Xander is pretty great in a lot of ways overall um, yeah but it almost comes out of nowhere well see this is the problem though because xander's problem shit is never acknowledged it's treated as though it's cute so mm. the fact that he grows past that is nice but we don't see him growing past that because it's never acknowledged that it's a problem. So like he's right. complex, he's complex and he, you know, contains multitudes, right? You know, um, but I don't think that textually we have ever treated him as though he needed to change. Mm. We just write him in whatever way suits the moment as opposed to what is actually Xander and we yeah. don't address his failures. We address some of his failures. Like when he leaves, you know, Anya at the altar. Um, that's something that we're like, oh, that was a bad thing. But we don't address his grossness, his abject grossness. It's not textual. It's like it's textually rubber stamped that this is okay. This is Xander. Oh, it's cute. Boys will be boys like that. So, so when he changes from that, it doesn't feel earned because we didn't work for it because we didn't know we needed to work for it. We, he just kind of changes. He just kind of grows up. He kind of seems like whatever we need, like if we have something mm -hmm. that we need a character to do, or we want a character to do, we have a, we've written a joke and we like it. Yes. So we're going to have Xander do that joke. He's speckled. We have this, we have this speech. Yeah. 
yeah, we have this speech. We need someone to recognize Don. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have Xander do it. He's yeah. kind of, I mean, he's a sort of, he's like the story handyman. Yeah. He's kind of like whatever, whatever we've written that we want or need done, give it to Xander. And maybe that's what I'm picking up on that yep. as much as we talk about like who Xander is as a character, I don't know. Maybe we don't actually know. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe we don't actually have much of a sense of who Xander is because he is just we'll, like we'll fill in the gaps later and it's like, oh, we'll fill right. them in with Xander. <laughs> I don't well, know. Yeah, because complexity in a character is perfectly fine. You can have like look at Spike. You can have a character yeah. that is incredibly complex, but those parts of him that make him complex that seem divergent need to acknowledge each other. And we don't acknowledge all of Xander textually. Um, so oh. that's where he feels he feels oh, God like damn a, it. Yeah. I wonder if this is a men are allowed to be complex without any explanation <laughs> thing. I'm not sure that this is a man. I don't think so because Xander is a man, but his complexity doesn't work because it doesn't acknowledge all elements of that complexity, whereas Spike does. So yes, I think that I think that vampires are inherently queer. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, is this a mm, I don't know. Oh, no, is this I don't a... think I, mm. I, I I totally see what you're talking about. Like I will you know come what up I with mean? a million examples of exactly what you're talking about. Walter White Don Draper, uh, Tony Soprano. Like, yes, absolutely. Men are allowed to be complex and have parts that are not attractive, that are not appealing, while overall we still love and admire and throw accolades on them, whereas women aren't really allowed that. That is definitely a thing. But with Xander, I think the problem is that he is not written to be complex. It is not a textual acknowledgement that there's any contradiction between our gross boys will be boys Xander and this Xander who sees all and acknowledges what Dawn is. We don't textually have a space for us to grapple with both of those things. One of them, we pretend like it's not there, like it's not a problem because I think the text doesn't know it's a problem. Right. Well, this is what I'm saying, that it's not he's not written to be complex in the sense that he's not we're not doing the thing where He's problematic and we know he's problematic, but we love him anyway. We're doing the thing where he's problematic because we don't know that he's problematic. So we also give him mm-hmm. all of these. So he's he's supposed to be lovable for these things that are like genuinely wonderful, like the way he yeah. recognizes the people around him and like advocate like mm-hmm. he's even before this speech. I love it when he's advocating for Dawn yeah. to Anya and Willow, which also kind of shitty that the two of them are so yeah anti. Like they're oh, so she just anti- ran away Dawn. into the room. Like oh my god, give yeah, her a fucking minute. And Xander's yeah. like, hey, can we cool it? Like she's grappling with a lot right now. Yeah, but he's written. Xander seems to be written with this. Everything he does is okay. Yeah, kind of veneer, and I think that's what I'm identifying as. Maybe complexity. Complexity is not the right word because I think we're supposed to feel great about everything Xander does because he's Xander. And I think that's the cishet white male rubber stamp that I'm absolutely looking at. Not the like he's a he's a complicated, like morally ambiguous kind, you know, because that's another thing we do that men are allowed to do that women are not allowed to do. Um, but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's it's a problem with what the text acknowledges as being yeah. real and what we actually see in front of us. It's gaslighting. It's more narrative yeah. gaslighting. I mean, that's basically what that is. Um, okay, can we take just a moment to talk about how amazing Sarah Hagen is as Amanda? Okay, we can take more than a moment because okay. Amanda is a delight, an absolute fucking delight, written with a personality. With a personality, like from the moment that she stepped in and helped, you know, and she starts talking about (laughs) I smashed his insecure ass against the pavement or whatever. Like Amanda has been the shit from moment one. I think part of that is Sarah Hagen. Sarah Hagen is amazing. I love this actress. Um, And I think that she does a kick ass job with it. I also really love that Sarah Hagen is not conventionally beautiful. And let me say that it's not to say that she is not beautiful. She's fucking beautiful 
lovely. But we have a very narrow definition of what creates conventional beauty and Buffy adheres to that very narrow definition quite a lot. Um, So Mm -hmm. to see a character brought in that is not, that is a beauty, but not a conventional beauty, which is a very, very narrow standard of beauty. Um, And we have her, you know, being amazing, having personality. Um, All of it is incredible. Sarah Hagen's uh, performance is amazing. Her comic timing is dead on. Um, I love everything except when a boy picks on you, it means he likes you. That is Shitty. Oh yeah, um, I grew up with that, and it yeah. that yuck. It's so <laughs> Just, gross. No, and I mean, here's the thing: if someone is picking on you, it means they're toxic. That's it. The reason why they pick on you is truly immaterial. It may be that they like you, but that means that they've got a problem, and you really want to steer clear. Um, so yeah, that that whole thing is is a bullshit um, cultural thing that we have held on to for for way way too long. Um, but Amanda overall is, I think. I think, I don't know, it's tough. Might be my favorite potential. Followed by Rona and then Vi, I think. But yeah, it's so great. Amanda, of the potentials, Amanda is, I mean, literally in this episode, she's she is the standalone yeah. potential. Mm-hmm. The rest of the potentials function much more as a group and she functions, functions as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's because we don't know right away that she's yeah. a potential. Mm-hmm. there's something maybe there's something there just from a writing perspective yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and that like if you don't if she's not set up to be a potential we can do more with her i don't yeah. know but she is she, she is delightful she's just oh, do, pe- do people ever think you're weird just her little <laughs> do people ever oh, think you're weird? so good so good <laughs> no it's yes. so great it's so great yes. and buffy identifying so hard with amanda in the beginning is another of those lovely little clues that like oh yeah it was there the whole time um and we get a little bit of fun stuff from andrew in this in this episode as we build up to andrew's eventual traumatized integration of self that we're going to get in storyteller oh god um, andrew but him trying to get in on the <laughs> on the outing is adorable Andrew, still here, still queer, still <laughs> speaking story. I love, God bless Tom Link for that. Mm-hmm. I hate my free will. I know. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Honey, honey, like mm-hmm. me too. What's so funny to me about Andrew is that he, I, hmm, I don't want to like him, (laughs) but I like him. I I like him. I have very complicated Andrew feelings. Like Andrew wanting to be included still gets me and Mm -hmm. I love him still speaking story and he really dials it up. Yeah. This episode, Mm -hmm. you know, referencing Dragon Ball Z to Buffy like that's a reference she (laughs) would get, Um, you know, playing with the snake skin, leaning in hard to Dawn as potential. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I love that so much. Yeah, I love that so much. It's like storytelling is his love language in a way. It's also his coping device. It's his framework for life. Like he experiences life through uh, relating it to stories. And I'm not going to lie. I kind of get it. Like, right. Like same. I'm not going to I'm not going to try to say that when I'm in a situation, I don't automatically go like, oh, it's like this episode of Buffy. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know, so i mean i get it like i get it i get what he's doing and i like it it's just that he does it as an escape from real life not as an addendum to real life and so that ends up being a, a bad case of narrativitis that ends up you know becoming a problem for him that well, has I been think a problem he does for him. both mm-hmm. i think he does both i think he does it to escape but also to connect yeah because mm-hmm. he's when he's trying like he is trying to have a relationship with Buffy with the potentials with Dawn Mm -hmm. in this house through story Mm -hmm. and (laughs) Buffy saying that he picks up the flavor of evil like a mushroom Mm -hmm. is probably one of my favorite things ever but he really is that kind of he I mean he really does he picks up the flavor of what's whatever is around him (laughs) because he just wants Listen, he just wants to be part of the st- a part of the stew, you know. He like does. he just <laughs> he just wants 
to be a part of it. He's all about community. I love Andrew. We don't get a whole lot of him in this episode, but what we get is is really, really fun and delightful. His whole little side, like total, almost total non sequitur <laughs> about, you know, if people could shed their skins. I was just like, what? <laughs> Andrew? Can you yeah. imagine if every once in a while people just wriggled out of their skin and left it behind them, like on the sidewalk? I'm like... <laughs> I think I love him because that is also how my brain works. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Not about to like, you know, stab my best friend over the manhole cover of evil, but like, yeah. As your best friend, I'm very glad to hear that. Because <laughs> unlike Jonathan, I have enough blood to open that shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, Noel, what's your favorite part? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean... I want to say, like, there are a lot of favorite parts yeah. in this movie, but I love, I absolutely love Rona and Vi in the graveyard trying so hard to be good Slayer students. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. Yes. When I you think Rona that's part too. of the lesson, he'll hurt your arm. <laughs> I know. It's so sweet. I love Rona, too, calling out the unbearable whiteness of Buffy, where she's like, yes. the black girl gets it first. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, exactly. You. And good then, acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And th but then... Also offering up, you know, what yeah. Buffy says, what did your instincts tell you to do? And Rona gives the the quote unquote right answer. Exactly. Which is not the right answer. But which like is not the truth. Yeah. Not. Yeah. It's I, there's something there's there's just something really wonderful about mm -hmm. both of them. Yeah. Like trying so hard, you guys like they have no idea what they're doing, but they're not mm -hmm. acknowledging really that they have no idea what they're doing. Right. Whereas. Dawn and Amanda mm -hmm. fighting the vampire have a, an exchange about yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> well you're doing it and it's mm -hmm. I don't know it's lovely it's I lovely like it. I like it yeah what about you what's your favorite part oh Xander telling Dawn <laughs> you're not special you're extraordinary and then I just cry <laughs> aww aww well, if somebody hasn't told you yet today I know <laughs> If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, follow at Chipperish on Twitter and use the hashtag still pretty or as a Patreon supporter at any level, you can join the Chipperish Discord group and chat live with other listeners and the hosts. Hey, did you know Patreon supporters who chip in at $10 and up get to attend show recordings live? And we've got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we'll unlock the monthly chip chat where Lonnie will host a private one hour Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now's the time. And speaking of supporters, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abby, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our Power Producers, you don't have Slayer strength, but that doesn't mean you're not strong. While you're waiting for the next episode of Still Pretty, here are some things you can do. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or wonder why you have to keep reminding people about the short, brutal life and sharp, sharp knives. I mean, you've covered this. We will be back next time with The Killer in Me, the 13th episode of season seven. Until then, you're not special, you're extraordinary. Extraordinary.